Well, good morning. And welcome to those of you who are joining us online. I'm so glad that you could be here. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Pastor Graham. I'm the teaching pastor here at Elam Chapel. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll get into the word for today. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the joy of this season. Thank you for the hope that we have through your Son. Lord, we pray that our hearts would be open to you, that our minds would be open to you, that we would learn something about you, God, or at the very least, that you would remind us about something that we needed to hear. Lord, make us more like you because we came to church today. Give us an encounter with you because we can't walk away the same from that, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been in the season of Advent. Today is the second Sunday of Advent. Advent is the season leading up to Christmas. It's the four Sundays before Christmas. And uh, this year is unusual. Usually Advent starts the last Sunday of November, but this year, the fourth Sunday of Advent is, in fact, Christmas Eve, so it's a little bit odd this year. But today is the second Sunday, and the theme of the second Sunday of Advent is peace. Now, peace features prominently in many of the great Christmas passages of the Bible. Last week, we read part of Luke chapter 2, which, for my money, is the best Christmas passage We can fight about that later if you want. But in Luke chapter 2, the angel comes to the shepherds, and at the end of that section, the angel is joined by a heavenly choir. And do you remember what it is that they say? Luke 2 verse 14, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Or the prophetic words of Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, where we read these words about Jesus. To us, a child is born, to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. What does that mean? What does it mean to be the Prince of Peace? It just sounds great. I love that. But what does it, what does it mean? What does it mean to have peace to those on whom God's favor rests? And peace is a bit tough because it sort of means two things. It has both a positive sense in which it is the possession of something, but it also has a negative sense in which it means the absence of something else. I should clarify that. I don't mean a negative sense in which peace is bad. I mean, like, like it's December. Cold isn't a thing that really exists, Right? Like, cold isn't actually a something. Cold is the absence of heat. Cold is what you get when you don't have heat. You can't actually have more cold, right? You just have less heat. In the same way, darkness isn't really something that exists, but is rather the absence of light. So darkness is a negative in the sense that it is what you have when you don't have something else. And peace can often be seen that way. We're probably, we might say, we're probably most likely to say that peace is the absence of conflict. We would especially use this in the context of war. When we aren't at war, we are at peace. It's sort of a binary. And this is certainly valuable and important part of what constitutes peace. And this is basically what is in view when Paul refers to Jesus as our peace in Ephesians chapter 2. See what he says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 18. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself, 
is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Now one of the main things that Paul has in view is the hostility here between the Jews and the Gentiles. When it talks about the two humanities, that's what he's talking about. But he's also talking about that Jesus is our peace in the sense that Jesus ends the conflict between us and God by paying for and removing our sin. And that idea is, you can't overstate that. That is wildly important. It is the most important news that we can ever hear. But it's not all that Jesus did, right? And viewing peace as merely the absence of conflict isn't really a complete view either. Biblically, in the ancient Hebrew, which is the language of the Old Testament, the word which we translate as peace, does anyone know? Shalom, yes, shalom is the Hebrew word that we translate as peace. But this doesn't just mean peace as in the absence of conflict. It certainly does mean that. But it also means whole or complete. It points to something greater than just the absence of conflict. It can refer to a wall that has no gaps. It can refer to a tree that has been beautifully decorated. Job uses the word to describe the state of his household because all of his livestock have been counted and they're in order. His house, his tents are in shalom. And you know what's probably a good example, one that's a little more relatable to most of us? A puzzle. Have you done a puzzle yet this year? I'm not a puzzle guy. But that sensation when you slide that last piece into place, click right? That, that picture's now complete, that's shalom, right? That's peace. I think this is an important distinction because the absence of war isn't always what we would describe as peace. Not, not to get political, but let me ask you a question. Is Canada right now at war with Russia? We could argue a bit over about like how much support we're giving Ukraine and the conflict that's going on there, how we're working with other nations to sanction Russia, and whether that amounts to proxy or even a propaganda war. But really, the answer is no. No, we are not at war with Russia. Thank God. Okay? Please let us never, let's not get into a war. Let's not. But perhaps a more complex question is this Is Canada at peace with Russia? Strictly speaking, in the sense that we're not at war, then we should say, yeah, we are at peace, but things are not good between those two nations, right? Canada is participating in all kinds of international work to pressure Russia. Things were similar, but (laughs) much worse, 30 years ago during the communist regime, And in fact, we came up with a term at that point to describe this state of not war but also not peace that existed around Russia in particular for the last 80 years or so. Cold War. A Cold War is not a war per se, right? 
That's why we differentiate it from a hot war, I guess. But it's certainly not peace. I was born the year before the Berlin Wall came down. So I don't remember the Cold War, but many of you do. And to use a biblical example, let's talk about Matthew chapter 2, right? The visit of the Magi. When the wise men came and then they left another way, do you remember what happened? When King Herod had a, you know, I was going to call it a temper tantrum, but that doesn't seem right. People died, it was awful. King Herod, we refer to this story as the massacre of the innocents. King Herod is furious that the Magi have gone home another way, and he orders all the little boys under two in the area killed because he wants to make sure that they get Jesus. This is really the part of the Christmas story that nobody likes. But here's what I want to ask. Is Israel at peace? Are they in shalom under Herod before the wise men come from the east. No. No. Things were not fine in Israel before the wise men came, right? They're not, it's not their fault that Herod did this. Herod's evil was lurking under the surface, ever-present, looking for an outlet. Can you imagine the unease that must have been in the atmosphere to be in a land or even in the city with a ruler who has this kind of potential for evil? Talk about walking on eggshells. So peace is not just the absence of conflict. But remember, we also said that peace has a positive sense, where it is a statement about the presence of something. And I'm going to submit to you today that peace is two things. Peace is stability, and it is security. Now, what do I mean by that? Maybe that wasn't really helpful at all. But remember, this is all in the context of what Paul said, that Jesus is himself our peace. So Jesus is stability. Jesus is security. When we have trouble, when we have conflict, when life throws storms at us, we can still have peace even though we are by no means in the absence of conflict. In John 16, we read, that Jesus speaking, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus wasn't shy about this. He talks a lot about peace, but by no means does he promise that we won't also have conflict. His promise is that we can have peace through the conflict. So let's talk about that. First, let's talk about stability. When life is crazy, when you're surrounded by conflict and chaos seems to be everything around you, is there somewhere that you can retreat to that will be safe and stable? I like to joke that my professional life is chaos, but my personal life is an order, and that's the way I want it, right? Right, like that's the order, that things can be crazy at work, you can be dealing with all sorts of conflict and difficulty, but if you can come home to a spouse who loves you, to children who want to be with you, friends who support you, parents who will listen and advise you, everything is a lot easier. On the side, if work is great, but home is in chaos, well, everything else is wrong. When Danielle and I fight, and yes, even the pastor fights with his wife sometimes, but when we, when we get into conflict, 
One of the things that I say to help myself bring everything back into focus is that when things aren't right between me and her, nothing else in my life feels right, right? Because she's, so, she's such a core relationship, and I draw great peace from that. Now, there is one more relationship that is even more core. Ugh, that just got cheesy. But it's true, right? Look back at what Jesus said in John chapter 16, 33. We have peace even in trouble because of Jesus. When the important things are settled, when the center is in balance, the edges can have storms, and it's okay. When we're in relationship with God, when Jesus is the center of our lives, we have great stability because we know that we are loved, we are forgiven, we are called, we're blessed, that God is at work in our lives and in our world, and we are safe in him. I think Paul, the Apostle Paul puts this so well in one of my favorite Bible verses at the end of what is a powerhouse chapter, really, in Romans chapter 8. In Romans 8, 38 and 39, we read, I am convinced that neither life nor death, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Let's summarize. Can we all say nothing together? Nothing. nothing. Now let's say it like we believe it, like we really believe it. Nothing, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus is our peace. Peace is Peace is stability. The important things are settled. They aren't going anywhere, and nothing can change that. That brings great peace when we're going through difficult waters. And the second thing that we said we would talk about was that peace is security. By this, I mean that peace is what you have when you know the ending. Who watched The Grey Cup a couple weeks ago? It's okay, you can boo me for even bringing it up. Who felt peace in that last minute? This is the time for the Montreal fans to out themselves. Right? Nobody who was watching that game felt peaceful because nobody knew how it was going to end. Right? It was a close game, and that ending felt far from sure even as it was unfolding. But what about when you do know the ending? Have you ever watched a movie that you've already seen? Have you ever read a book that you've read before? Have you ever heard a joke for the second time? It's a very different experience when you know the end. My kids are getting to ages where I want to start showing the movies that I have loved. And in particular, my son is showing a lot of interest in Star Wars. And we felt like he was ready. But my kids have also started doing this thing that's pretty frustrating. I'll say, hey, I'd like to show you, you know, whatever movie it happens to be. And they say, no, that's scary. Now, they have no idea whether or not the movie is scary. They said the latest Paw Patrol movie was scary, right? They have no idea. In fact, they usually would just rather watch another Paw Patrol again, right? But they don't know, so I tried something new. When the movie started, I turned to my kids and I said, the good guys win. None of the good guys die. Everybody gets home and there's a happy ending. And you know what? It made all the difference. 
They still got scared partway through, but they turned to me and I repeated what I said. The good guys win. It's a happy ending. Guess what movie they want to watch on endless repeat now? (laughs) Did you know that God did this for us? The last book of the Bible is called The Apocalypse. And this word doesn't mean end or destruction, which is how pop culture tends to think of it, but it means literally the lifting of a veil. It means a showing, or as our Bibles have translated it, a revelation. Pet peeve, it is one revelation. It is not the book of revelations. Okay, just so we're clear. Thank you. Appreciate it. In the book of Revelation, God sends John a vision for the church. And God says, look, you are in for a hard time. Things are going to get worse before they get better. But things are going to get better. The good guys win. This story has a happy ending. Look, let me show you what's going to happen. And then Revelation is full of apocalyptic imagery that is difficult to understand at best. But for the people at the time in that culture and in that mindset who were steeped in the imagery of the Old Testament, the book of Revelation was a clear message of God's comfort, God's control, and God's ultimate victory. I know I keep referencing the same verse, but it's like all of Revelation could be condensed down into John 16:33. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And on the flip side, just to help illustrate the point, there's this whole Christmas passage in Revelation that shows the opposite side of this equation. In Revelation 12, we read what is sometimes called the Christmas in the stars or the cosmic Christmas story. And John uses this apocalyptic imagery and images and callbacks to the Old Testament to paint the story of Christmas in a new light. When we think of Christmas, we think about this silent night a holy night, how all is calm and all is bright. But John, well, let's just read it. Revelation 12, starting in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, seven crowns on its heads, Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. Do you see what I mean about apocalyptic imagery? There's a whole lot of pictures going on here. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. Then war broke out in heaven. So much for silent night. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. It's not exactly a peaceful, serene scene. Serene scene, I didn't realize how much that rhymed. 
But here's the point that I'm getting at. Satan suddenly becomes deeply aware of how his story is going to end. God stands over Satan, the enemy, the deceiver and the accuser, and he says, this story does not end well for you. You do not win. You do not have a happy ending. And Satan gets, well, whatever we would term the opposite of inner peace. In Romans 12, 17, we read, Then the dragon, the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Do you see it? Satan knows that he is running out of time and he is thrashing around. He does not have security. So he goes for violence. Not so with you. You have been called. You have been chosen. You have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and you will sit with God for all eternity in love and joy and goodness. And you get to taste some of that now. In Ephesians Chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, we read that you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. God's presence with you now Good as it is, wonderful as it is, amazing as it is, is just the down payment. He's only put down the deposit. Jesus, who is himself our peace, will one day make good on the rest of the payment. He will set all things right, and the story will end as God has always intended. Peace is security. When we encounter the troubles and storms of life, when Satan thrashes and everything seems like it's going wrong, the walls are closing in, we know how the story ends. We can have peace because God is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. God, we don't deserve your peace. We only have this because of Jesus. And Lord, we need you so desperately. We can't do this without you. So God, give us your peace. You've given us Jesus. You've given us the deposit of the Holy Spirit. Bring that peace forward in our lives, God. May we dwell in your peace. May we enter into your rest. May we be your people in stability and security because we know the ending, because we have you and nothing else matters. May you be glorified. In your name we pray. Amen.